Today we're going to be looking at love the Lord with all of your heart. So if you will, open up to Mark chapter 12, the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 12, looking at verses 28 through 34. So as you're finding your place there, uh, we're going to take this entire conversation. Really, Mark 12 verse 30 is my focus for the whole month. But you've got to understand there's context that's got to be given. So we'll jump into that some today as we begin into this new series. And from conversations, we think about this. This is a conversation that Jesus has with some scribes. In the previous chapters, we see where the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're all trying to come to Jesus and entrap him. It's what they're trying to do. But here, we have a scribe that comes to Jesus. And as we just sang, there's ways to come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, there's responses in coming to Jesus. But the first thing that we do, we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus and we give him our heart. As we're going to be talking about today, love the Lord with all your heart. And we're going to look through the four different uh, ways, the four different uh, portions in how we surrender our life to him. Although our, life, our lives are not broken into portions, there's importance in understanding how we love the Lord from those different things. So just consider back, when we're talking about conversation, consider back to some of your most recent conversations. Consider some of the questions that came during the conversation, okay? Um, now, most of our conversations today revolve around our schedules, don't they? Especially with husbands and wives, we're talking about our schedules. And then, because as Americans, we're schedule-oriented people, and we try to be on time. Now, not everybody is good at that, but we try to be on time in, the, in our scheduling, so within our scheduling, we consider our precise times. What times does it start? Sunday school starts at 9.30, not 9.35 or 9.40. It's supposed to start at 9.30. Worship starts at 10.30. I try to get right on it because I want to give you all the time I can and then some every Sunday. So I try to get started at 10.30. We're, we're about our times. And then not only is it about times, within those schedules and times are places. You know, we're setting our schedule, what time we got to be there, where we got to be. As you know, uh, and, and as I have found out, doctor's visits, you need to be on time. Matter of fact, you need to be a little early. You need to be a little early with those things. So you've got, you've got your schedules, you've got your times, you've got your places. And then within all of that, there's the mode of how we're going to get there. What car are we going to take? Or if you don't have a car, how, what friend am I going to call? What family member am I going to call? What mode of transportation am I going to use to get there? There's questions that arise. And then from that point, we get into the scheduled time, place, mode. Then who may be with us? Who's going to go with us? Because sometimes you need somebody there. Because it might be that uh, you've got to take some anesthesia or you've got to get your eyes dilated or something of that nature. So you might have to have somebody to go with you. There's all these questions that arise in our conversations that we have. And Jesus, is he's been addressing the people. You can go back and see. He's been talking to the people and going to the temple back and forth. And here in Mark chapter 12, he has been talking to a group of folks. And then one of the scribes came and, and begins to question Jesus. And in our culture where many things... Uh, in our culture, where many of the things were, uh, in their culture, excuse me, in their culture, many of the things were not absolute. I think about when I've gone and done uh, mission trips in Mexico. I'll never forget this. They said, all right, when you plan this, this event, I know you're saying this time, but just be ready. It's probably going to start about 30 minutes later. 
Maybe even an hour later. I was like, really? They're like, yeah, that's just, that's just the culture. The culture. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's fine. No big deal. You know, because we had a block party out there. And, and they said, don't get discouraged when, when you don't have a big group show up there at, say, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It's probably 5.30 or 6. And I was like, all right. Because our schedule as Americans is, is very... But yet, in other cultures, just as in when we went to Brazil... Uh, Brazil was very similar as well. They weren't as, as, as so diehard on the times. You know, so uh, matter of fact, we even in Brazil, we were able to share the gospel. We went into a dentist office one time, and the dentist called everybody out of their chairs and all of the, the dental hygienists. They said, come in here. They're sharing the gospel. So we went in there, and they got everybody up. I mean, like they were in, they are getting their teeth clean. And they said, come on in here. They're going to tell us about Jesus. And I was astounded and amazed. And, uh, but anyway, the, it's, the scheduling is just a little different in other places. But we know there's things that happen in our schedules, questions. And when we have that extra time, we can get into deeper conversations about what we believe. We're not, so have, we're not like, I've got to be here, and I've got to be here. I can't have a deep conversation because I've got to go. I've got to go. You know, it makes you think about uh, the, the little rabbit that carries the clock on him all the time in Alice in Wonderland. Oh, what time is it? What time is it? You know, and, and, and that's us as Americans today. We're just always on the go, so we don't have time to build those deeper relationships. But Jesus, he would take time to engage those that had questions. And it's important for us to know that we can go to Christ when we have questions, and he has time for us. He has time for us. And, and so today we have this scribe who had heard Jesus and found him as being reasonable. And so from a heart of willingness to engage, being reasonable is a powerful attribute. Being reasonable. So we will evaluate and walk through this conversation of the scribe and Jesus. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you open up with me to Mark chapter 12. Beginning there in verse 28, we're going to read down through verse 34, and then we will go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Verse 28, it says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, talking about Jesus had answered them well, he asked Jesus, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him, being Jesus. So as we open up today, the first thing I want us to look at is Jesus knows how to engage his audience. Jesus knows how to engage his audience. Now you need to love the Lord with all of your heart. And because Christ loved the Lord, his, the Father, with all of his heart, 
he was able to understand that for other people to come to this knowledge, you've got to be able to engage them in a way that brings honor and glory to God, yet does not compromise faith. Jesus here is being questioned by the scribe, by one in particular scribe, as a matter of fact. And in the previous chapters, you'll recount how various religious leaders of the time had questioned Jesus. And their questioning was to entrap him. If you were in Sunday school this morning, and you were studying there, you see what happened there. They tried to entrap Jesus by bringing out the adulterous woman. Now, they didn't bring out the adulterous man. I'm not going to reteach the Sunday school lesson. But yet we see that that was happening. It was an ongoing issue of trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus, even in the midst of all that, he knew how to engage the audience, didn't he? He knew how to engage those that were around him. And where they were, for as Scripture says, you should not pick out the speck in the brother's eye while you've got a plank in your own. What does Jesus say to them in that Sunday school lesson? He tells them, he says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Observe the plank in your own before you observe the speck in this woman's eye. And matter of fact, you kind of kicked the dust, sawdust in her eye. Honestly, if you think about that story, you kicked it in there. But yet, nonetheless, there was still sin to be had. And then they walked away, oldest to youngest, realizing that they had sin. Jesus was about engaging his audience. And he knew how to do it in a way that brought people closer to Christ, not further from him. He knew how to do that. And so as we look at this today, this scribe has come in. Jesus has, has encountered all kind of kickback in the previous chapters. But yet here we find Jesus Christ engaging the audience. And in this text, the scribe recognizes the reasonableness of Jesus and his thoughtful and accurate discerning. We see that there in verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, asked, which is the first commandment of all? He saw that Jesus was reasonable. And he said, I need to talk to him. I want to ask him a good question. And that's okay to ask questions of Jesus. So I want to encourage you today. Do you have questions to Jesus? Jesus can handle those questions. Jesus can handle your questions. He can handle the difficulties of life. And so the scribe answer, asked this question of Christ. And I want you to understand, in Jesus being a Jew himself, and also engaging in Jewish rhetoric from time to time, Jesus knew their most important rituals and routines. He knew those things. So to him, it was no meaningless rote statement. Jesus, too, spoke what this is called. This is called the Shema Jesus spoke this also daily as a normal action of a devout Jew. Hear, O Israel, as he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was repeated by every Jew every day. And Jesus knew how important it was for people to understand the oneness of God. In a polytheistic culture, he was wanting them to understand the oneness of God. And from this oneness, we are to worship him and to serve him and to give our lives over to him. In oneness, in wholeness, we give our lives over to him. So to love the Lord was the most important action of the Jew. To love the Lord was not a compartmentalized love, but a love of the whole person. You know, we so often, 
want to give only portions of ourselves, right? So often we just want to give a portion of ourselves. A lot of times we just want to give a time frame of ourselves. Just a moment, a blip on the radar of the week to the Lord. Such as Sunday morning or Sunday school or worship. We just want to give him just a portion. We don't want to give him the whole of ourselves. But the whole person is what Christ desires. Therefore, we are to love God with our whole selves. God does not save us by fractions. Jesus doesn't call for the heart, the real me on the inside alone. Jesus doesn't call for the soul, the self-conscious life alone. Jesus doesn't call for the mind, our intelligence, and thought life alone. Jesus doesn't call for our strength. Our bodily powers, perhaps even the will, alone. But Jesus calls for the entirety of the person to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And to show love to Him. Therefore, we're to love God with our whole selves. God does not save us by fractions. And we are not to offer to God a mere fraction of ourselves. Jesus warns that it is impossible to divide our allegiance between two masters, such as is referenced in Matthew 6.24 and Luke 16.13, where he says you cannot serve both God and mammon or God and money. We cannot have a divided allegiance to Christ. We cannot compartmentalize our lives and say, I'll worship you in body, God, I'll come on Sunday. I'll sit in my body in this pew and I'll worship you here. God doesn't want that. God, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's nice, that's a portion of it. But that's not the whole of who you are. If you're not worshiping during the week, neither me nor Donald or Lily or the choir can motivate you to worship in this one hour. Because your heart's been dead all week to Christ, it's really hard to get that heart a-pumping on Sunday morning. If we're having to perform spiritual CPR on you every Sunday morning to get you back to life with Christ, man, you need to figure out, do you have a life with Christ? You get, you've got to evaluate that in your life. Daily, are you cutting time out for the Lord? Is He valuable to you in your heart? That's what we've got. We've got to surrender ourselves to Christ. And it begins in the heart. Today, we're going to look at what it means to love the Lord with all of your heart. When you look there, and, and Jesus emphasizes that. He says there in verse 30, Jesus says, He says, you are to love, first of all, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And we'll, we'll move down to verse 32 in just a moment. So as we look at this, we emphasize and draw on how to love the Lord with all of your heart. All of your heart. Our hearts are considered and known as our emotions, the real me on the inside, or the thinking and affection, as the New Living Translation says. It's the thinking and the affection. When, when we think about our heart, it's, it's what controls us. Now, granted, we're not talking about the, the physical heart, okay? That physical heart, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bodily organ. It functions. It pumps the heart in. It pumps the blood in. It pumps the blood out. But this is talking about 
the heart. It is, it is where we really find our, our hopes, where we make the seat of our decisions. All of that resides in the heart. And Jesus is, is those... And Jesus is recorded giving that command. He's saying, look, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And I think it's important that he said heart first. Because some people say, well, we need to love with all of our soul. Well, then they get all spiritual. Don't get all spiritual first. With all of your mind. Oh, I need to really be knowledgeable about the Bible. Okay, that can come. That can come. With all of my body, they think they need to get to work, get to work. That's when people come into a church and people say, hey, you're a warm body, you want to serve with our kids? No. I'm not trying to be mean, but they need to be here for about six weeks or maybe even six months before you start putting them in with kids. You got to, you gotta, for lack of better terms, you got to vet people. You got to do a background check. You need to send it off and get it back. You need to observe, do they even have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Just because they got a warm body, you don't stick them in there with the kids? Do they have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? If they don't, they don't need to be in there with the kids. They don't need to be in there with the youth. They don't, even need, they don't need to be in there with you adults. <laughs> I mean, they need to be in there, but not as teachers. That's what I'm saying, not as teachers. Okay? You can't just take people off the streets and say, okay, well, let's just stick them in a class as the teacher. No. I don't care if they came from another church. You still should evaluate them. I mean, what's their goal in coming here? Some people like to go to church because they like power. And at their previous church where they served, oh man, somehow they lost power. They, left the, they lost their authority. Wah, wah. So they want to go to somebody else's church and they want to get promoted and they want to get put stuck somewhere where they can tell somebody else what to do. Wrong, most of the time. No, uh-uh. So what do you do? You observe their character as leadership in the church. We observe their character. We deserve it. We observe, are they, are they growing in their faith? Do they have questionable beliefs? Do they, you know, what is it? It's because you've got to evaluate the heart. And you may say, well, you're judging, Pastor. You know what? Is the she under-shepherd of this church underneath Jesus Christ? You better believe it. If I'm not, I'm failing you, church. And when we have people, we've got to have people that's serving, that wants to be is serving the Lord with all their heart here. We've got to be wanting people to lead in love. And they need to have a true faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to know how to love the Lord. Jesus, Jesus is speaking to that. Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all of your hearts. So as those who claim to be Jewish... They were to expressly love the Lord. They were to expressly love the Lord. Their routines, their words, their choices, their work ethic, all was to be through their love for the Lord. If I were to go out and find you in your workplace, and you've got a terrible, trashy attitude, you're treating customers like trash, and you're talking bad, and, and you're, you're, you're only working when the boss is around, you know, all this kind of stuff like that. But, I mean, you may say, I'm a believer in Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. The Bible says, do all things as though you're doing it for the Lord. I don't care if your boss is around or not. Because the true boss is, if you're a believer in Jesus. He is around, and he is observing what you're doing. So where's your heart at? If your heart's in Christ, you're going to know, I'm going to try to do everything for the Lord. I want to do it to honor Him and please Him and glorify Him. So when Jesus makes this, so Jesus makes this emphatic clear, He begins mentioning the heart. 
And in the Bible, the heart is more than a pumping station. It's more than a pumping station. It's the command center of the whole body where decisions are made and plans are hatched. It is the center of our inner being which controls our feelings, emotions, desires, and passions. The heart is where religious commitment takes root. It is in our innermost being where we decide for or against God. And we can give assent with our mind and lips, but it is the telltale heart that betrays our true loyalties. That's where it is. That's what uh, the NIV application commentary tells us about the heart. Jesus' own heart was to speak only what the Father said to speak. And if we have a heart that is of Christ, we should be Christ-like Christians, right? So our heart, Scripture tells us that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the things that who we are, what makes us who we are. We can observe how Jesus, from his heart, determined how to counterattack the works of Satan and the schemes of the religious. We can see how in the parable of the prodigal son, that although the older brother stayed home and worked for the father, when the father wanted to celebrate, the older son was upset because he performed his duties with the heart of a slave, not with the heart of a son. Well, you see that. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves. We are children of God. So as children of God, we should do things as though we are children of God, knowing that he loves us. He wants the best for us. As a father, I want the best for my son and my daughter. Now, do they make mistakes from time to time? Yes, they do. But that doesn't hinder my love for them. It means I want to discipline them so that they will get back in right relationship with the Lord. They can get back into, into doing what they should be doing to be honorable productive, God-fearing people. That's my heart. But do I need to discipline them from time to time? Absolutely I do. Now they're becoming more of adults. It's a little bit more challenging to figure out where that line is. You know, it's very challenging. But at the same time, that's, that's what God calls us to do, to be, to be father figures. Now today in our culture today, so many fathers are, are not good. And maybe you've experienced not having a good father. Maybe you had a good father, but he wasn't a Christian father. But if you were blessed, you had a good father that was a Christian father. And their, their desire is for us, for our hearts to be pure and to pursue Christ with all that we have. I know the scripture tells us, do, do not trust your heart. Do not trust your heart. You know, so many people want to say, oh, uh, you just do as your heart desires. You better be careful of that. You better be very careful of that. The heart is, is very deceitful. We've got to be cautious about what we let our hearts decide for us. But if you will surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, and if you will pursue him daily and not wait for us here at the church to try to do spiritual CPR on you every single Sunday morning, then you might be able to trust that heart a little bit. But trust the Lord even more than you trust your own heart. Okay? Trust the Lord. I know he might be the ruler of your heart, the Lord of your heart. But even in the sense of that, sometimes we can get confused. So go back to the word of the Lord so that when it, 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 it will never contradict one another. The word of the Lord and the will of the Lord will never contradict one another. Because sometimes in our heart, we still got some fleshly battles going on, right? So make sure you trust the Lord. Trust the word of the Lord to know the will of the Lord. 
Because if you try to trust your own heart, it can lead you down a path that's very dangerous. And you might not, over time, if you listen too much to your own heart, you might not be able to discern the voice of the Lord over your own wants and desires. So be very cautious in that. Jesus taught that what comes out of a person's heart is what defiles him. It's the evil deeds, evil thoughts, and even doubt. But I want to, I want to remind you of what Scripture tells us there in Paul's letter to those in, in Corinth. He says that anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and all things have become new. We also know that in Ezekiel eleven nineteen that it's written that the Lord will take out your heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh so that you will be able to follow him as he desires you to follow him. And Jesus expects his followers to love the Lord with all their heart. Jesus expects his followers to love the Lord with all their heart. We, we see that in, that in that later part. Well, how in the world is that going to be fleshed out that we love the Lord with all our heart? We're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's going, to be, it's going to be more than a selfish love for ourselves. It's going to be a selfless love to Christ. It's going to be a selfless love to others. That's how we're going to know. That's how people will know that you are my disciples, by the love you show to the brethren. That's what Jesus said. And it's going to be from the heart. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Not some of it. Not on Sundays. Not on Wednesdays. Not just when it's convenient. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love Him. And it's listen, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that this is the easiest thing in the world to do because you're battling a lifetime of self-worship, basically. So you're trying to come out of a, of, of a God that you've created in your own heart and in your own mind that gave you everything you ever wanted to a God that wants to give you everything that you didn't know you needed. And you're like, well, I wanted this. And God says, well, you know what? I've seen what that could do to you in the future. But you know what? I know what's best for you. You might think that's better, but I know what's best. And you've got to trust the Lord and lean on His understanding. Because His ways are higher than our ways. So we lean on Him and we trust Him. We trust Him with all of our heart. The word that we're looking at today is particularly applicable when we think about love the Lord with all your heart. It's particularly applicable for a generation of persons who ramble through life aimlessly and give their hearts to everything and nothing at the same time. That's our culture today. I mean, what's the cause today? What's the cause tomorrow? We've forgotten about ten causes that happened last year. Right? But all of a sudden, whoo, I'm passionate about this. Oh, well, that's not in the news anymore. Many years ago, there was something that, there was a, uh, I, honestly, I can't even remember. I got a sticker about it on my guitar case. But it was, it was, uh, it said, uh, find Coney. Do y'all remember that? K-O-N-Y. It was some guy that was abducting uh, uh, young girls in Africa and I can't remember what it was. But it shows you how long, I mean, I can't remember what it was, like 2012 or something like that. And I got a sticker. I used to have my guitar sitting right over here. But it says, find Coney or something like that. And, and I don't even remember what it's about. So, I mean, these things, they rise up. These, these causes rise up. And we devote ourselves to everything and nothing. You know, 
now listen, I, I know that this is an ongoing challenge. It's sex trafficking. It's a battle that's going to continue for a long time. But I remember several years ago, five or six years ago, and, and from time to time I'll see it again, but, but they'll draw a red X on their hand. Do y'all remember when that was real popular about seven or eight years ago? You know, and it was in sex trafficking, and they had putting a red X on their hands. And I remember that. It started at a passion conference, I believe, over in Atlanta. And that's a good cause to stand against, for sure. But where is it at now? It's kind of trickled back down. These causes rise and they fall, and people give themselves. What are we giving our hearts to? Give your heart to Jesus. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, granted, are there causes that we need to support? Absolutely. I'm not telling you to abandon or never support those things. We support the Pregnancy Test and Resource Center because we believe that every life should have a chance to make it in this world. And upon conception, that's a child. And we believe and we support them because that's an ongoing cause. There's more abortions. I, I quoted a statistic. I think it was an old statistic. But they're saying now that 65 million babies have been aborted. 65 million, and I might, it might even be the B word, but billions, but I think it's millions, have been aborted. And listen, through a pregnancy test and resource center, we can help save the lives of children. We can do that. That's a cause that I'm always going to stand for. I'm all about saving lives physically and saving lives spiritually. That's what, that's what I'm about. And that's what we need to be about. There's reasons that we need to give our hearts to them things. But obviously, those are under the totem pole, under the, the, the totem pole. What a bad reference. That's all underneath the main topic of Jesus Christ. The head of everything that we should do, that we should submit our heart to, is Jesus Christ. And then we evaluate it. Is that a worthy cause under to Jesus Christ? Is that a worthy cause? And we ask those questions. And that needs to be something, that's, that's something that we evaluate all the time. As we've observed earlier, the heart is who we are. When we are redeemed, we are given this new heart, as mentioned before. So with it comes new desires, thoughts, and actions. And although the Shema is a Jewish tradition, we too should recognize the oneness of God. We should recognize that, and from that, our oneness with Him, live it out in mission. That's what we should do. With our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and our strength, that should all be flowing through into the missions that God puts on our hearts and into our minds. The mission of the heart of God is to see mankind redeemed for His glory and for their good. A lot of people don't understand that. It is for their good, but it's for God's glory. And this should be modeled from the inside out in our lives. We know that the Lord is pleased with our show of strength. He is. And how we serve Him. But the thing is with that, it is with no value if there's no heart in it. When you think about Samuel, when he went out to crown the next king, and he went out and he looked at all the brothers, all of them strong, ruddy, big, powerful, big, big men. And Samuel says, do you got another child? Do you have another kid somewhere that you stash somewhere? Are they hiding somewhere? And he says, well, you know, David's out there watching the sheep. I knew you were coming, so I brought in all the bigger, bulkier men, you know. And he's like, I'm not going to sit down until you bring in David. He brings in David, and of course, then we get the quote, you know, that God does not look on the outside of the man, but on the heart. God looks on the heart. 
Proverbs 27, 19 tells us this also. As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. So a man's heart reveals the man. Jesus tells us of the heart pursuing him. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God, those that are um, having pure in heart. We will not find purity apart from an ongoing, deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. When we pursue him in holiness for his glory, we will see God and the works of God in the world around us. And this type of relationship is not found in a fractional submission, but in a whole submission to Jesus Christ. This type of love uh, is also not one we work into. It is one that is given to us. It is a love that is placed upon us. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He expressed his love for us long before we could ever express a love toward him. He placed his love upon us. And this type of love is, is, is revealed through a heart that is submissive to Jesus Christ. It's not man's judgment nor man's acknowledgement to bring about salvation, but God's amazing grace that brings about salvation. As we've observed the inner cha inward change today by the outward revelation through baptism, we see God's amazing grace that has changed the stony heart. God's grace changes the stony heart. And we must understand God tests the hearts of those who have confessed and professed Him as Lord. In Psalm 7, verses 9 and 10, it says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous, God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. Our hearts should be given to God, and God tests our heart. God tests our heart. That means He looks at the motives of why we do what we do. And we are not just apart from a relationship with Christ. We are just from that relationship with Christ. And we are now seen as children of God, hearts and persons made new, unlike we were before salvations as enemies and at enmity with God. And once we are His, He defends us. He saves us time and time again from sin and ourselves but salvation, the regenerating of the heart, is a one-time event. I explained this the other night talking with someone about salvation. We know the difference of when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ by how they view the sin that's in their life. Someone who is not redeemed has no regard as to what's going to happen in their life once they, when they sin. They don't mind. There's no difference. I've sinned, no big deal. But, but for those that the, the Lord has changed their heart and is redeeming, where once that sin has come into their life, they may have fallen. They fell for that sin. Matter of fact, they even looked for the sin to fall for. But once you give your life to Christ, you see that sin. And you may trip and you may fall, but you don't trip and fall every time anymore. And then the next time you see it, you, you see it and you notice it, but you don't quite, for an illustration, you don't quite pick that foot up high enough and you stumble and you fall forward a little bit and you say, oh, Satan, you got me a little bit there. You got me thinking about it, almost acting on it. 
And maybe the next time it is that you see that sin and you pick that foot up and, and if you're like me with dress shoes, that little lip right there just happens to catch the edge of it and you stumble a little bit or you stub your toe and you say, oh, yeah, I felt that. But you know what, though? I didn't fall. I don't even lose my balance, but yet I felt it. I know you're trying to get me with it. Well, then the next time, through the power of Christ, you see that sin, you say, you know what, Lord, through the power of Christ, I'm just going to absolutely avoid that. I don't even have to get close to that. You know what that is? That's God's empowering through the grace, through the Holy Spirit, for you to see sin and know sin what it is, for what it is. It's the sanctifying work of Christ to, to say, I see this for what it is. It's sin. It's temptation. And through Christ, I can overcome that. Not apart from Him, but through Him. Through Him. So salvation, you may say, well, I'm going to sin again. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. But how often? And how much do you desire to do so? How much are you planning to sin? How much are you setting yourself in the environment of sin? If you're gradually and you're, you're saying, I'm forsaking these things, I'm turning away, I want to tell you something, that's Christ's work in your life. Because in and of yourself, as you, as God of your own life, you say, I like that sin. But when you give your heart to Christ, He is giving you strength through the power and the redeeming work of Christ and through the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you're able to overcome that and get past that sin. See, God will defend us. As, as I quoted there in Psalm 7, 9 and 10, my defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. He saves the upright in heart. How does your heart get upright? It's, it's by spending time with Christ. It's by reading his word. It's by being faithful to the calling that God's put on your life. It's, it's being uh, faithful to, to make it for Sunday school, to say, you know what, that's one day a week out of the week. Now, I understand, I know sometimes you have jobs, sometimes you get sick, sometimes your kids are sick, whatever. I understand it. Those things come up from time to time. But listen, if, if that's not a legitimate reason, be in the house of the Lord. You wonder why you're weak. You wonder why you're sick. You wonder why these things are happening to you. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about just physical health sick. I'm talking about like spiritually sick. You wonder why that is. It's because you're forsaking the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Quit making up petty excuses and get in the house of the Lord. Come into Sunday school. Be fed. Have fellowship. Come into worship. You you worship. You worship. I'm not here to, 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 like I said, conjure up some kind of emotional worship feeling. I'm here to tell you the word of God. And it says, you, as those who have confessed Christ as Lord, those who have been through those waters, those who have said, Jesus Christ has regenerated my heart, you're the ones that say, I am saved by the grace of God. I've come here to worship. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you are my God. That's, that's, that's the heart. That's the heart. We have a relationship, a, a, a growing, intimate relationship with Christ. And Paul writes there in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
And then he writes similarly there in Colossians 3, 14 and 15. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which, you, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let that rule in your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And know because you can have that peace, he's defending you. He is defending you from the fiery darts of the evil one, as Scripture calls them. He's the one defending you. And it's through Christ when you give your heart to him. He says, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart heart don't compartmentalize it don't say i'm going to serve in this i'm going to do this give him your all today give him your all today listen if you have never surrendered your heart to jesus christ there's no greater time than today there's no greater time than today don't put off today what you think you could do tomorrow. The scripture says that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not. So what are you going to do with your heart today? i tell you what you should do. Listen, O New Prospect Baptist Church. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart.